I'm Chara Santilli. I was born with ambition. My parents were entrepreneurs and I pushed myself to be high school valedictorian, class president, most artistic, and most likely to succeed. The summer I turned 19, we celebrated my dad's 50th birthday with a hot air balloon ride. A crash landing left him with a broken neck, me with a broken heart, and my mom coping through alcohol. My relentless ambition helped me become a successful entrepreneur, yet my own private paralysis and overachiever addiction ruled me. I finally ventured on a quest for my best life. I found the path of my inner peace, how to stay on it and how to show the way for others. Now it's your turn. Ready to take that load off your shoulders? Join me so you can cherish your life. Today is so special. This is truly a full circle moment for me because my guest today is the reason I became a life coach and was my introduction to life coaching. So I am honored to have on my own personal coach, Rhonda Britton. She is the founder of Fearless Living. You've heard me, if you've been following me for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about Fearless Living before. And she's so accomplished. I mean, the list goes on. Emmy Award winner, repeat Oprah guest, multiple best-selling books. Um, the biggest thing for me, though, and I'll have her share what she'd like a little bit more about herself, too, in a moment, but the biggest thing for me is that she helped me find my way. Oh my goodness, here I go, already emotional. Um, and I met her 11 years ago around this time of year. It was right around spring. And mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment too. But uh, boy, it's been quite a journey and it really is a privilege to have you on with me today, Rhonda. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here as well. And I'm so proud of you. Look at you. Look at you <laughs> blossoming and taking, having a podcast and doing everything you're doing. You're just doing, you, I'm just so excited for you. And anybody who's listening to you or watching you is, they have no idea what a privilege that is that they get to be in your, in your orbit. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I gave a few Cause of the cause highlights. You've, cause, you've, cause you've done the work. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. You know, there's, there's 20, 30, 40,000 couches, coaches out there and most have not done the work and you've done the work and that takes something of a person that takes a willingness, a, a courage, uh, a fortitude, a, a humility, a, just a willingness. So I just say you've done the work. So kudos to you. Thank you. And you showed yeah. me what the work was. <laughs> you signed that homework. <laughs> So <laughs> diligently. One of my very favorite things to do. Yes, yeah, sorry. Oh my goodness. So um, so we'll get into your backstory in a moment, but uh, I would love to maybe, let, let's share a little bit of how, about how we met. So I was at a business conference and I think I've shared in a prior episode part of this story, but basically what happened the night before I met Rhonda was um, I'm talking, you know, just chit-chatting, networking. I was out on a veranda and just with a stranger, right? A group of people. 
And I get to talking with him and suddenly I'm starting to tell him my story about the hot air balloon accident and my, my story. And I'm telling him the story. And then at some point he looks at me and he's like, he knows my dad's been paralyzed for many years, 20 years at that point, nearly. And then he says to me, Cheris, why are you paralyzed? And mm. I, I remember so vividly that evening. I remember walking to my room and kind of feeling like a zombie, kind of like something had literally cracked, like something had cracked with me. And I like, it was the pivotal moment of a turning point where everything changed, the direction and everything. Kind of just somehow took a shower, went to bed, whatever. And the next morning, you were the keynote. You were the keynote the next morning and I missed it. And I was, <laughs> you were the keynote and I missed bummer it. Bummer for you. Bummer, bummer for you. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. And, um, and I'm, I'm so glad they get to hear your laugh because your laugh over the years has been one of the most wonderful things. I just love your laugh. So I run into some, I remember I was in such a zone. I remember my hair. I remember what I wore. Like I just, it was like, I did everything to make myself cozy because I felt extremely raw. I just felt like something like some, I just felt so raw and kind of shock in shock. Cause I, I didn't quite understand what had just happened, but something had cracked. And I ran into someone in the hall that I kind of just met at the thing. And he says, oh my gosh, did you see the keynote? And I was like, no, I'm just now leaving my room. And he said, it was, she was amazing. And she, she had quite a family story, quite a story. And I was like, I heard the word family and a, and a story and a, a big story. And I, that got my attention because my is a family story. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then I, later in the day, all I remember that moment and then seeing you in the foyer and knowing that it was you. And then I just remember just like magnetically like beelining for you. And my memory, we'll see what you remember, but my memory is I just went up to you and was like, just like practically grabbed you and was like, I, I missed you speaking this morning. Um, I heard you have the story. I I have this family story and I want to know what yours is. And I just was like, just hungry and desperate for something. And I felt like you might have it. And then you told me your story, which I'll have you share to everyone else. And then I remember being stunned and then feeling like, oh my God, she might be able to help me. She might get me and breaking down into tears and feeling like, where do we go from here? What do I do now? So that was the beginning. Um, and I remember saying, well, my, my, the accident happened over 20 years ago or nearly what, like I've been functioning. Everything seems fine. What's, what's the deal? Why am I, I'm at a business event. I just launched a product. Everything's fine. Everything's good in my life. What's wrong? What, what, why, what is happening? And you just, you said something to the effect of you're right on time. It's, it's right on time. And hey, do you want to have a call? I'd be happy to talk with you. <laughs> let's let's mm -hmm. sort this out. So that's my memory. So I would love for you to share your family story and anything else that you remember about that first, first moments together. Well, I will say that you were, because you're a doer, you're a doer, you're an action taker. 
and a recovering perfectionist. And it, I remember it as you do, and I will add this to it, is it was you were trying to not do it, but you were like checking off something on your checklist. Like, oh, Rhonda might be able to help me. I'll go talk to Rhonda. And um, so, I mean, I could just, you know, I could, you know, we can feel each other's energy fields, right? We can feel each other's energy. And it was clear that you were perfectionist. It was clear that you were frantic. It was clear that you had not, I'll just say, because we talked about done the work, doing the work earlier. Um, you hadn't done the work in order to integrate what happened to you. And, and that's most of us. And when I said, you're right on time, many of us don't begin to heal what happened to us in the past till 10, 20 years later. We think we did. We think we have, just like I thought I forgave right away. But my true forgiveness happened 20 years later when I had opened my heart enough and done the work enough to actually be humble enough to say, oh, wait a minute. I thought I was fine. Just like you said, right? I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Humble enough to go, okay, why don't you actually tell yourself the truth? And it's not as fine as you would like it to be. And you keep on managing your emotional life. You keep on managing things, but you aren't living the life your soul intended. So, um, so I think that's, you know, when I said it's on time, I would just say, you know, anybody watching us or seeing us right now, it's probably their time, right? They're here, they're with us. And there's something within them that maybe they've done some work, maybe they've done a lot of work. And, you know, the question is, then what is your next step of undoing? right? What is the next step of undoing? What is the next step of unfolding? What is the next step for you to, you know, live the life you're soul intended for you to become who you were meant to be, to be all of it. Um, and that's, by the way, a life process, but that, that moment of yes to you, not yes to your business, not yes to your husband, not yes to your dog, right? Not yes, yes to your mom, but yes to you. And I think when we're independent, strong, financially successful business owners, right? Like you and I, we, we're, we're, we're under the illusion that that proves we're healed, that proves we're okay, that proves we're, we're fine. And in fact, I always like to say that our business is really our spiritual journey. So when we're in business, we're actually on a spiritual journey and our business is taking us through that spiritual journey. So, you know, I remember that day and look at you now on your spiritual journey. Yeah. Getting all fearless. <laughs> it, uh... Well, I also think most people don't, I also think people don't know what fear and fearlessness is, right? I just don't think they understand what it is really. I mean, they, they say the words, but I don't think they really quite get it, right? Because I, I don't think in the culture that we live, I don't think it's really discussed in a way that is... Um, accessible and humanized and it's more like do it you can do it make it happen ah! you know and and that's not it has anything to do with freedom it has nothing to do with fearlessness it has nothing to do with any of it yeah people hear fear and they think of um fear of heights fear of snakes fear of spiders and um it's 
it, it's all the little stuff. We just, we, we know, we don't label it as fear. I didn't, not when I met you. No. And, and, no. um, but it's either. all the stuff that is keeping everyone listening here from taking the step to do something they really want to do, taking the step to quit something they really want to quit, taking the moment for themselves. I, all of that technically, if you really look at it, is fear. And that's what we're trying to bring out to the world. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, just think of the thing about balance, you know, you, you talk about balance and um, even just, even just flirting with that term balance, just flirting with the term. If you're flirting with the term, you already know that there's something not working in your life. And then you, most people go, yes, but I can deal with it. I can handle it. I can do it. Right. And then they take little tiny steps towards balance, but that's not really the balance they seek. Right. They, you know, they start with water. You know, I love water. Water's good. I like water. Water's good. Right. But you know, it's like when you're seeking balance, you're actually seeking an identity shift, right? You're seeking a way to see your world differently than the way you are. It doesn't mean you quit your job. May You may not quit your job at all, or you may, we don't know. You might start your own business. You might, you know, lots of things may change and nothing changes because that's not what it's about. It's a not, it's not about moving the, you know, chest, you know, chest, you know, you know, chess pieces, right? It's not about moving the chess pieces. It's about literally changing the game. That's beautifully said. Yeah. And, and I talk about, I think what I used to do too goes along with the checking things off the list and the perfectionism and that stuff is, um, thinking of balance as a, uh, one and done or an equation of my life. This many hours of this, this many hours of this, if I do this this many times a week, I remember you even asking me, you know, an ideal day at one point in a session. And I was like, or an ideal week. And I was like, well, I would work out this many times and I would do this and I would, (laughs) and it was this equation. And now, oh my gosh, not even close. Like, I don't even follow a plan that I make for myself in a week, to be honest, most of the time. And it is so much better for me. I'm not saying everybody has to be this way. Balance is different, I think, for everybody. But the way my whole perspective around all of this has shifted, and it feels like it's been astron, it's been, um, what's it called? Uh, when When it gets more intense. Like, if I look back over the last year, the growth and the, the understanding compared to the prior, you know, I can't think of what that's called when it ramps yes, up. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, because, because you started a new business, right? You started a podcast, you started a program, you started doing things that now has you more visible and more, more, I'll just say more visible, more people hear what you say, hear what you think, you know, and, that is a risk. And for many people, it's one of the biggest risks of, risks of all. So when you are taking those risks, it is going to feel intense, even though the risk is a series of tasks that you know you can do, right? You, you knew you could do a podcast. You, you're really good at tasks. You're really good at ABC. You can do all that. And that's how most people that are seeking balance are really good at that. And um, so nothing is impossible because they know how to check things off the list. Yet that's not the balance we're talking about, right? So there's a different, there's a difference in the way you described your balance 
pre-fearless living is external balance. You thought like, well, mm -hmm. if I work out five hours a week and if I, you know, spend, you know, two hours a day with my husband and if I, you know, spend this much time with my family and right. So it was an external, like you said, equation. And where we go or you and I go is now we know that external balance, it's lovely and wonderful. Yes. Okay. That's a great first step. But that actually isn't going to get us to peace of mind. That's not actually going to get us into soul work. That's not actually going to get us into the balance that we really seek. So, me, so many people come for the external balance in the beginning because that's doable. It, it seems dual, like that. Okay, I can, I can do the checklist. Okay, I can do that. And that's again, that's a great first step. But as you start that journey, if it calls you, then how you will decide what to do every day. It won't be based on a checklist, even though we all have to get things done. It will be more of an internal balance, yep. right? So it's when you're focused on internal balance, it changes the way you literally see the world. And therefore your external balance becomes more in your sovereignty, becomes more in your control, more in your choice, more in your decisions. Even if you work for somebody else, even if you have three kids, even if you're married, even if you're committed, even if you have families, things, it will be choices that you're making in that internal balance. So you'll no longer begrudge people taking advantage of you, right? You'll no longer begrudge, oh, why do they do that, right? Because it's not about that at all. It doesn't become about that anymore. And you'll start seeing people through a different lens. And then internal balance becomes such a joy and gives you so much space. Even though you may be doing the same amount of tasks, same amount of things, it still creates a level of ta uh, level of space that just is, it just is refreshing, oh, right? Yeah. It's like you can breathe. This, like I love the word space. Like it just creates space around you. Yeah, I feel like I have so much more space and breathing room and permission. I've given myself so much more permission. I'm tired. I got a deadline, but I need to take a nap. Okay. Go take <laughs> the freaking right. nap. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yes, absolutely. So, um, let's talk about the, the, how you came up with fearless living and, and I would love for you to share your story. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, fearless living, probably just like you, you probably never thought of becoming a life coach. And when I was, when I became a life coach, there was no such thing as life coaching. I think there was five life coaches in the world. And I happened to be working with one um, as I was a publicist at the time. And he was one of my clients. So I didn't even know this existed. Right. Um, but how I got there, and you talk about the story of my life, that family story that drew you to me the first day that we met, I'll tell the short version since we have so much to talk about, uh, but it was when I was 14 years old. And so everybody just think for a minute of a time in your life growing up. It could have been when you were 18, 22, it could have been when you were three, but that something happened that rocked your world. Maybe you saw something, maybe you heard something, maybe you experienced something that changed your perception in a fundamental way. Well, mine happened when I was 14 years old and my parents were in the middle of getting a divorce and uh, it was Father's Day, and my father was coming over to take us all out to brunch. And I grew up in a little tiny town, so going out to brunch was a big deal because we didn't go out to eat. It was expensive, three kids, two adults, five people. Just didn't do that back then. And he comes in the door, and he goes, come on, come on, because that's what dads do. And my mom's getting ready in her bedroom and putting on her 
blue eyeshadow and rose-colored lipstick, fluffing up her beehive hairdo. And me and my mom start walking out to the car to get to go to brunch. And my dad, again, yells to my sisters. My two sisters are in the bathroom fighting it out. We have one bathroom for five people. And uh, he yells, come on, let's go. And so we start walking out and it starts to rain as me and my dad and mom are walking out. And my dad looks at us and says, oh, I got to get my coat from the car. And as he opens his trunk to go get his coat, I notice he doesn't grab a coat, but he grabbed a gun. And he starts screaming at my mother, you made me do this, you made me do this, and he fires. And I start yelling, dad, what are you doing? Stop, dad, what are you doing? And he cocks the gun and points it at me. And I absolutely, 100% believed I was next. And he looked at me, I looked at him, I blinked, he blinked. And my mother, who already had one bullet in her, looked up, saw the gun in my face and screamed, no, don't. And my father, realizing my mother's still alive, took that bullet intended for me and shot my mother a second time. And that second bullet went through my mother's abdomen, out her back and landed in the car horn. And for the next 20 minutes, all I heard was, and then my father cocked the gun again, dropped to his knees, put the gun to his head and fired. And so in a matter of two minutes, two minutes, I was less than two minutes. I was a sole witness of my father murdering my mother and committing suicide at the age of 14. Now, I don't know how most people would respond to that, but this is how I responded. It's my fault, right? I, I was the only one out there physically. I was the only one physically out there that could have grabbed the gun, the only one that could have kicked his shins, the only one that could have jumped in front of my mother, for God's sake. I didn't even jump in front of my mother, right? So here, uh, when when... When that happened, it was definitely my fault. And so from then on, I was a straight A student, continued it up in high school. But the minute I hit college and nobody knew me because I went to a school out of state, um, I started drinking to manage my emotions. Over the next 10, 15 years, I became an alcoholic, three DUIs, spent some time in prison. and three suicide attempts. And it was my third suicide attempt that I realized something. Um, I'm not very good at killing myself, that's first. But two, I, I have to find another way because all the things I'm doing are not working. Now, mind you, those, those years that I had the suicide attempts and DUIs and was an alcoholic, I actually went to workshops. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a ferocious reader ever since I was little. I would read self-help books and spiritual books by the time when I was 12 years old. So all during the time that this was all happening, I was trying to help myself. I was trying to save myself, right? I was trying to figure out, right, what was wrong with me. And it was only after that third suicide attempt when I remember going to my apartment. I lived in a studio all by myself, which, by the way, is not a good idea if you're suicidal. And I remember just kind of gliding, I was leaning against the wall and I kind of glided down and I sat on the floor and I said, you know, I have to start over. And I thought to myself, this is the first starting over exercise I came up with because starting over didn't exist at the time. That's a television show I was on for three, three seasons and 500 some episodes. And I said, well, what do I, what did I, what do you do in kindergarten? That's literally what I said to my, what do you do in kindergarten? Well, you get stars in a calendar. So that's what I did. I got a calendar. I got some gold stars. 
And for the next 30 days, anytime I did anything, anything, anything that made me worth living, kept me living, I gave myself a gold star. And I still have that calendar. And things were like, um, got angry, but didn't break anything, right? Like that's, that's the level of anything good, right? I, I remember reading it recently. I'm writing my memoir right now. So I'm, I'm looking at all my old things and I, I pulled out my calendar and I read some things and it's just, I just look at that. I look at her and I just want to kiss her. I just want to kiss her because um, she got me here, right? She courageously took those scary, scary, scary steps and was willing to look at herself and go angry and didn't break anything. Good job. You know, like, right. Good job, Rhonda. Yay. And, Cause that's where I was. Right. I, I, I and, and after the 30 days, I remember looking at the calendar and going, there's a reason I can live now. I, I, I have a reason. To, I have a reason to live. I'm good enough to live. And from there, I um, got deeper into my journey, of course, my own personal journey, spiritual journey, emotional journey, mastery, et cetera, et cetera. And never thought I'd become a coach. And then I owned my own PR agency. That, that was much many, many years later. Many years later, I opened my own PR agency. And one of the first coaches in the world was my client. And he would always tell me, um, oh, you're going to be a better coach than me. And I'd look at him like, mm, I think you forgot about my past. Father killed mother, three DUIs, three suicide attempts, a little time in jail. Um, don't think anybody wants to listen to that. And I really, really, really believed that. I, I 100% believed that I did not have a right to say one thing to share and say one thing about anything about how to live your life because of my past even though I hadn't lived that past for probably by this time you know five six eight years that was still my guilt and shame and you know that that I, I again it took away all my my past took away all my rights to be who I was meant to be I didn't know it at the time, of course. And so you asked me how I started Fearless Living, and it actually happened in the office of my client. I was sitting on the couch, and he was at the board, and we were brainstorming some ideas. Because, uh, again, I didn't know how I knew how to do this, Sharice, but um, I, like, knew how to create workshops. Never had before. I knew how to get him speaking events, which PR, I knew how to do that. Um, I was selling for him. Uh, what was that about? I mean, I was literally creating all his programs. I did not know how to do these things. So clearly there was some sort of innate ability, right? And I'm at his, ho I'm at his house. I'm on the couch. He's on the board. We're brainstorming. And um, all of a sudden, on the right-hand corner of the ceiling, where the ceiling and the wall meet, uh, a cloud came out with a book on it and the book opened and it went like this. And it shut, went back in the cloud and left. And I'm like, what just happened? And I also believe because, you know, I can't be for me. 
I absolutely believe that wasn't for me. I believe that I just saw it, but it must be for somebody else. So I actually, the first thing I did was turn around to see if somebody had entered the room because clearly somebody had entered the room because it wasn't for me, right? <laughs> and I, I mean, I literally did this. I was like, okay, who came in? No, nobody. Okay, well, that was weird. And then I looked over at Paul and I'm, I'm expecting him then. He must have, it must be for him, right? And he's talking away, hadn't broken a sentence, you know, just keeping on going. And I'm like, that was for me, right? Because there was nobody else there. And I, in that moment, I had the answer to every question that I've ever asked. And I knew the answers to everything, which was mind blowing. And the good news is I actually had a, an appointment with my minister the next day. <laughs> um, and I ran to, I mean, thank God, right? And I run to my minister and I go, ah, this thing happened. And she's like, oh, you know, just casually, oh, you got the call. And I'm like, the call? What the, what are you talking about the call? She goes, well, you're, you got the call. And I said, well, okay, but I still have, I, I never graduated from college. I still have three classes left. Again, remember, I'm the DUI suicide girl. Of course, I have three classes left. Of course, I don't have my bachelor's yet. And I said, so I have to go get my bachelor's. Then I have to go get my master's. Then I have to go get my PhD. And then I have to write a book. So I'll be ready in about seven years. I, I literally said this to her. Like, I can't tell you how many times. And she looked at me. She goes, well, you wouldn't have gotten the call unless you're ready now. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Got to go finish my bachelor's. Got to get my master's. Got to get my PhD. And then I'll write a book. So I'll be ready in about seven years. And she just kept saying, you got the call. You're ready now. And that was very difficult to believe for me. Very difficult to accept. It took me many months to embrace that and to believe that I had any right to share my journey, you know, share what I knew. Cause I, again, taken so many workshops, so many classes, I'd been mentored by so many people. So it wasn't like I didn't know how to know a lot of things, but I just didn't think I had a right to tell anybody else about what I knew. And so after I surrendered, which again was months later, um, and Paul, remember, was always saying, you're going to be a better coach than me. He became my mentor. And so I lived in Los Angeles. I live in LA now, but I lived in Los Angeles at the time. And, you know, this was before, this is before Zoom. You know, this is before video. This is before everything. So I would charge people $25 for a session. And I would drive to their house or meet them at a cafe, which in LA, sometimes I drive 30 to 45 minutes <laughs> to go and get $25, you know, and work with that person and then drive home 30 to 45 minutes. Right. But it was, it was mind blowing. And for six months, I only had two clients. I mean, literally I couldn't get hired, you know, like two people and that's all I got. Like nobody, you know, like, again, I didn't have permission, but at the six mark, month mark, it's like I switched, like I really got it, right? And within one week, I had 20 clients. So I went to two clients struggling, $25 driving everywhere to 20 clients. And then eventually they came to my house because um, back then everything was done in person. What do you think uh, changed that week? And that, um, I, I really understood, I understood what I really did. 
And so I started talking about myself differently, right? That's one of the things you learn in marketing, right? Like, how do you talk about yourself? How do you talk about what you do? Well, I, I realized that I could solve people's biggest problems. And um, which is audacious, uh, you know, audacious to say right now, but that, you know, but that's, I knew that I knew it. And so when I would meet people, instead of going, hi, I'm a life coach and I do A, B, and C, they go, hey, what do you do? I go, well, I solve people's biggest problems. They go, what? I go, hey, you have a problem that keeps recurring and you can't get over it? I go, that's what I do. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, that's what I do. I help you solve your biggest problem. And of course, then everybody wanted to know how to solve their biggest problem. And remember, by this time, you know, it wasn't much, you know, there's five life coaches in the world when I started working for Paul, there might have been eight when I started being a life coach. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm in the first 10 life coaches in the world. And this is not talking about executive, co executive consultants who then started calling themselves coaches. I'm talking about legit life coaches, people who actually didn't just change their name because the industry changed. Because that's most coaches, many coaches, the old coaches are consultants and they just call themselves coaches. So um, that that changed everything for me. And then I started, somebody asked me, one of my first, my first client asked me to teach a class. And I was like, oh, no, I don't do that. I do one-on-one -on -one work. I don't teach. Oh, no, I don't do that. And she kept bugging me and bugging me. And finally, I was like, okay, I'll do it for one time for you. But that's it. Don't ever ask me again. And then I got in front of this four people in her company, four people, and started teaching. And I was like, okay, this is fun. <laughs> so then I started doing workshops once a month in my home. And then I started speaking because, oh, wait, well, I got to speak if I want people in my, come to my workshops. So then, you know, it just evolved. And then I was speaking and teaching. And then everybody kept going, I want, I got to give you my cousin and my sister and my friend. I started recording all my talks. And then I, then people kept asking for a book. And so then I wrote a book. And so everything's evolved based on what other people wanted, right? I didn't sit there and go, huh, I think I'll write a book. No, Rhonda, will you write a book? Rhonda, will you write a book? Hmm. Oh, well, hmm. Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. And it was always the hurdle of them wanting, asking, and then me being willing to surrender to even contemplate that I had a right to do that, that I even had the, the ability that I, that I could even think about doing that, right? I remember the first workshop in my house and my, uh, I'm, I'm divorced now, but I was married at the time and our kitchen was like the 1950s and a broken tile and it was like really old and needed to be redone. And I remember being horrified that I was going to have people in my house, like horrified. And I would say to myself, yes, Rhonda, but you don't, you don't make enough money now to make, to hire, you know, go to a hotel. And I started teaching in my house with my broken tile. And that again, another moment of humility. Because again, remember, I still had that belief somewhere in me that even though I knew I knew all the answers, I thought they still wanted me to look a certain way or wanted me to be a certain way or wanted me to have certain things. And of course, in this culture with TikTok and YouTube and all the social media, that is very much true. People are attracted to people who have the things they want, not understanding that that may or may not be what they have inside. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So here I am, four books later, three TV shows later, uh, Fearless of an Institute later. I think I've created probably, gosh, I don't even know how many classes, 40, 50, 60 classes. How many workshops? I don't know, a lot. <laughs>
because I'm a creator, right? I want to share what I know. I want to share what comes through me. I'm a creator. So I, you know, so I am always, uh, I always say, if you hear me want, speak once, which you could attest to, you should probably share. If you hear me talk at a talk, let's say it's called Fearless Living, once, I tr trust me, the next time you hear it, it's going to be completely different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And don't ask her to repeat what she just said, because she will not remember. <laughs> So that was a long story of, you know, how I got from my parents dying to me sitting here today with you. Oh, I had not heard all of that story. That was really fun. I'd heard pieces, but not, not the pivotal piece with the cloud. <laughs> I was like, where you know, was it's so, it's so funny. Well, Sharers, cause I really haven't talked about that and okay. um, talking about transparency and authenticity in the last year, I've been like, I'm just going to start telling the story. You know, I'm just going to start telling what that was, that that moment that really called me forth to come forth. And then again, I, just because I had that moment, I had to say yes to that moment. And it took me many months to do that. And, you know, when I do share the few times I have, I had one person come up to me, they go, oh, I, I had something like that, but I just thought it wasn't for me. And I just went and got drunk that night, you know? <laughs> Because they thought it was, you know, they thought it was crazy talk, right? So I think we have more magical moments, miracle moments than we attest oh. that we really own because we just kind of blow them off and kind of be like, well, that I must be, mad. I can't kid, that's ridiculous, you know? Um, but again, thank God I had the appointment with my minister the next day who just kept saying, I mean, who knows if I, who, who knows what would have happened if I would have talked to a different person about it the first time, right? Right. And that right. really talks about how you have to be surrounded and choose your mentors, teachers wisely. Well, it, it makes me think of a moment. I'm not, I, someday I will share that happened when I, soon after I'd started um, my coaching training program with you, because I got certified through Rhonda, through Rhonda's organization. And, um, and I came up with an excuse of why I needed to become a life coach. It was, it was because it was going to help me with my current team and my relationships and all these things, because I couldn't give myself permission. Oh, yes. And, and I'll, and I'll let, and I'll let you believe that, that go, you knock yourself out. If that's why you're going to do it. Sure. Sure. Okay. I mean, you, I can't tell you how many people have come to the, you know, life coach certification program at Fearless Living and they're like, oh yeah, well, I just, I'm learning this for my kids or I'm learning. And again, that's a great reason. Mm -hmm. Great reason. Or, oh, I want to learn it for my team, you know, or I want to learn it to, um, you know, to handle my family better. I just want to learn the skills. And the only way I'm going to really embody them is through the coaching program. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a good point. Cause you have to work with clients. You really have to get it. You have to really, really do the work really at a higher level than anywhere else. And then I think of Susan, Susan, who was like, oh, I'm never going to be a coach and graduates. and like, well, maybe I could be a coach. So it, people come to coaching for different reasons and it doesn't matter why you come come and then the reason will be revealed to you when you're ready for your next step don't wait to be like well i have to know everything before you take the step no you must take the step and then the next step will reveal and the next step will reveal the next step will reveal and that is how soul life soul living works mm -hmm. yeah and i and i i guess there was a moment in something special that happened one of those really magical that kind of sounds crazy stories that i'll share at another time that i think was a call. And I never thought about it that way until you, until just sharing that with you 
uh, you sharing today. So thank you. Cause that puts, I kind of put it a, a different pin in that moment for me. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And, and just going, and just going back to balance, you know, when people are craving balance, like I said, they're looking for some sort of identity shift, some sort of something. And if that, it doesn't matter what the way in is, right. Balance can be the way in or, you know, perfection isn't going to be the way in or, um, you know, procrastination can be the way in, right. It doesn't matter the way in. It's just kind of owning whatever you think that quote unquote biggest problem is and being willing to look it in the, you know, stare it in the face and be willing to get the support and the mentoring you need in order to become masterful at it. And of course, get to know yourself better because one of my favorite things is become your greatest advocate. So, you know, if you are in charge of your own transformation, i.e. the one that's willing to say yes, then it doesn't matter how you enter the door because you're already in the house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just get the get the foot in somehow. And it could just be even that first bit was me was just attracted to someone who had a family story and your vibe and your whole thing. And then when I spoke with you and it like, it was like, okay, that's my first whatever. So just, um, and I think that's what happens too. We each get people who are just kind of attracted to us for some reason, something relatable, something they just like about us and they just want to hear us talk. And, um, We'll take it, whatever will help, whatever will help at all. Uh, when I look back at, um, I think one of the biggest things that you helped me with was um, self-trust, for sure. And I think that's one of the biggest things that, that and feeling my feelings, even understanding that I had them and acknowledge them and name them or try, start, um, because I... I now can tell people and tell my story and the fact that I became so busy because I wanted, it was easier to do that and avoid feeling my feelings in general, looking back, that's the quick summary of my overly busyness and workaholic uh, years and, and tendencies. And so, you know, the, the trust and the, and the avoiding the feelings, you know, and I know, you know, we've worked on that tremendously. I mean, anything you want to say to that in general or working with me on that or anything that comes to mind? You're bringing up two fundamental things, right? Trust and feelings. And most of us, me growing up the way I did, um, I didn't know what I felt. I mean, I grew up in a Finnish home. Finnish, Finnish people don't feel. And I grew up in a little tiny town, so nobody feels. And... Um, feelings were too much to this, to that, right? Like feelings were bad, but I think most of us don't know what we feel. We can't identify what we feel. And emotional intelligence tells us, neuroscience tells us that the number of feelings that we can name actually is a sign of how much emotional intelligence we have. So that is proven by neuroscience now. So if you have like, I had three feelings, you know, angry, depressed, and happy. You know, that's really pretty much it. I was either angry, depressed, or happy. And um, you don't have a lot of room for subtlety. You don't have a lot of room for negotiating. You have not a lot of room for self-mastery if you only have three feelings. So I really invite folks to, to definitely get to know what they feel and get to know themselves that way and to really um, 
love themselves enough to find out what they feel. And moving from that to trust, if you don't trust yourself, you will never choose you. You will, you will never make decisions for your soul's greatest enfoldment. You will never make decisions that have anything to do with you. So one of my favorite sayings of mine is my needs equal your needs. So when we move through fearless living, we do the work of fearless living. It's like, yes, I want you to know your needs. I want you to know your feelings. But everybody else has needs and feelings too. And are you willing to trust yours and honor yours to give yourself self-respect, to give yourself sovereignty, to give yourself, uh, I just, again, I'm going to say the word sovereignty because I love that word, but to take that personal power back. So feelings and trust, uh, I think are um, epidemic that we don't feel and we don't trust, especially in a world like today with all the social media, it makes it even worse, mm-hmm. right? Because now we're looking at what everybody does and we're thinking, oh, should I be doing that? Or should I be wearing that? Or should I be thinking this? Or should I do that? And even though there's a there's a trend now that we all want to be all natural and, you know, no, we want to be honest, that even in of itself could be fake, right? It could be a marketing technique about being honest. So you got to trust yourself in order to know um, who to listen to, who to follow, what your next step is. And one of the ways to get there is to actually know what you feel. Which is why... I stress feelings and it's inside what I teach and pass along through fearless living and the, the list of feelings that came from you. It's so yeah. important. And I talk about trust and permission and all these things because uh, I, I just, I, 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 so I want people to feel better. Like I feel better. Yeah, I want the same thing. I want the very same thing. I'm, you know, I, I, I can't believe when I look back at myself, 22, 30, 35, you know, 16, whatever, all those ages. um, Like I said earlier, I'm just so proud that she kept going. Right. She was so lost, but she just kept going. She didn't know what she was doing. Right. She didn't know what she was doing. But she just kept going. And, you know, that's what I want to say to everyone listening to us right now. It's like, if you're listening, you are moving forward. Just by listening to share some myself right now, you are saying, yes, yes, yes to, I want to be more me. Yes, yes, yes. I want to trust myself more. Yes, yes, yes. I want to embrace my feelings. Yes, yes, yes. I want more internal balance. Just by the mere, mere fact of listening to us without doing one exercise. But just listening, it's getting that in your body and brain and shifting those cells. And, you know, one of the biggest changes in my life, uh, Cheris, was when I literally listened. I didn't listen to the radio. Yes, it was radio back then. I didn't listen to the radio. I didn't watch TV for two years. And all I did was listen to my own voice. I would record on a little cassette recorder my favorite sayings and all the things that really meant something to me. And I would listen to that cassette in the car and at home. And I would listen to my one mentor, right? Because too many mentors also really messes you up. So I had one mentor and my own voice, and I only listened to that for two years. And that, I believe, was one of the fastest transformational times in my life because I was literally 
absorbing, literally, uh, you know, uh, just swimming in those words that I wanted to be true, that I, uh, that I prayed would be, could be true about me, that I, you know, just, I was dying for them to be true about me. I wanted them to be true about me. Um, you know, people would say they saw things in me and I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And I wanted to see what they saw in me. I wanted to be those compliments. I wanted to believe that I could be that. And, um, just listening to this podcast, just listening to you right now, um, over and over and over again, episode over and over and over again is going to shift neural, neural pathways in your brain and shift your cells. So you become more open to surrendering to the next best step. So if you're not willing or not able to take action yet, listen again and again and again and again, and finally the dam will break and you will take a step. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could talk to you for hours. We, <laughs> yes. We have uh, no limits on what we could discuss and and our history together. And I, um, I thank you for continuing to take the steps yourself. Thank you for still being here, not being able to end it as you tried. Thank you for clamoring your way through those rough years to find enough peace so that you could help others and help me. And now I am passing it along. Thank you. I love that. Thank and you. You're welcome. And that's what I've always wanted, Cheris. I've always known that I can't change the world by myself. Right? We need coaches in order to take their tribe. So I am just so excited for you. And I'm so excited to watch your evolution and just so thrilled that I got to be part of your journey. Thank you. So if anyone wants to follow you and, um, and also I, I definitely want to, as a fun thing, I was, I, she has so many things to, to offer. And I was thinking about what to offer you all. And I said, Ooh, let's do the first book of hers I ever read. And the first program, so I started working with you privately. It was my first intro to you, but then I took many of your programs I've taken. Um, and the first group program I did was Change Your Life in 30 Days and the first book. And so I thought, let's do the, a free chapter to that. That would be so fun to share with everyone. So she is gifting to you. Let me show you on screen here if you're watching the, the video. And if you're, if you're listening to this, the audio version, uh, do not fret, you know, no matter what, wherever you're seeing this, hearing this, the link is going to be in the comments and it's, uh, and I'm going to have her repeat it. I think it's fearlessliving.org forward slash chapter dash, like you'd put in between phone number digits, a dash C Y L, which ironically is the same initials for Cheris, your life. So <laughs> So the book that the book that Cheris is talking about is Change Your Life in Thirty Days. Yeah. So Change Your Life in Thirty Days is the book that she did first. That was my um, third book. My third book, and it's many people's favorite books because um, this book, Change Your Life in Thirty Days, actually um, actually gives you a tool a day, it gives you a skill a day. So every day, now you don't have to do it in thirty days. It might take you sixty days. That's okay. It might take you ninety days. 
but it does a skill a day. So day one, you're going to learn a skill slash tool and you're going to practice it. And then the next day you're going to get another one. And so at the end of your time uh, going to change your life in 30 days, you're going to have literally 30 tools in your toolbox. And like I said, don't pressure yourself to do it one a day. If something happens and you need to take a couple days off, do it and just pick up where you left off. Um, but this is what I say, everyone who's a leader, everyone who's a coach, a mentor, lead a team, uh, this is your toolkit. So this is, this is essential. So my, my first book, Fearless Living, which is the foundation of all things fear uh, that I teach, Fearless Living is the philosophy and everything about fear, and Change Your Life is the toolkit. And those two things go together is really the, the heart of Fearless Living. And of course, I had to start with so look the toolkit. Look at that free chapter. Because, because <laughs> <laughs> you, had a, you had to check off that task list. Yeah, I'm like, give me the task. Like, give me the uh, toolkit. Tool kit. one, uh, uh, tool two, uh, uh, tool three. <laughs> and I got up, I did it. I did it when you did it live years oh, ago. At seven o'clock in the morning or something yes! like that. Yeah. Seven o'clock in the morning, live every day on a call. You showed up live. I was there live. Other people were there live every day for 30 days in our little apartment 11 years ago. Yes, 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 yes. So go get that free chapter. It's fabulous and it, it will help you change your life. And you'll see and hear or read things that you hear me talk about. And, you know, no surprise. So um, <laughs> thank you. But she goes, but I, it's, I just love the format of it. I love all the things. I love how simple it is. Anyway, I just, I can't say enough about everything that you do, but especially that, that has, that one's just near and dear to my heart. Um, and, and then online, uh, following you on, on social media and such. Everything's under Rhonda Britton, social media, R-H-O-N-D-A-B-R-I-T-T-E and Rhonda Britton. So TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, everything. Just look Rhonda Britton, YouTube, Rhonda Britton, TikTok, right? Just it goes to Rhonda Britton and Facebook as well. Everything Rhonda Britton. And then my website is fearlessliving.org. It also can be Rhonda Britton because if you just put Rhonda Britton into Google, you will find me. So R-H-O-N-D-A, Britton, B-R-I-T-T-E-N. There's no way not to find me. <laughs> Fearless Living, Rhonda Britton, you are going to find me. <laughs> Okay. And I love to uh, close with a quote. And so Rhonda is going to share, share something here now with us. Yeah. So Sheriff told me about this. So I want to tell you the quote that I have been my favorite quote since I was probably 12 years old. Um, and maybe this quote kept me going on some level, even when I was drunk, suicidal, in a psychiatric ward, right? It's by E.E. E. Cummings. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. So that is my favorite quote from somebody else. And then Sheris asked me what my favorite quote is. And I thought, well, you know, we're going to talk about, we're talking about balance today and everything. So, you know, live the life your soul intended is my motto. I want you to live the life your soul intended. That's why I do what I do. I always say people are in the right place if they can answer the question, do you want to live the life your soul intended? If the answer is yes, you're in the right place. If you don't, you're not in the right place. Please leave. 
right? So do you want to live a life you're so She's intended? saying this is, this is, and these are Rhonda's quotes, just so to be super clear. These are Rhonda's she, these quotes. These are Rhonda's yes. quotes, quotes yes. by Rhonda. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Thanks, Karis. So live the life your soul intended is my favorite Rhonda quote. I never know. Like it's my quote that I made up that I said myself that got you. <laughs> so live the life your soul intended. And, and I will give this to make you stop and think while we are ending today is, are you willing to be wrong about everything to find the right life for you? And yes, that's a Rhonda Britton quote. Are you willing to be wrong about everything to find the right life for you? Because the right life is living the life your soul intended in the world of fearless living. Yeah. Oh, I've had so much fun. Thank you, Sharis. Thank you. This was, um, like I said, full circle, special beyond words special beyond words. Thank you. And I love you, Rhonda. You're welcome. I love you too. Be fearless, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my Cherish Your Life podcast. If this is supporting you in any way, please review, subscribe, and share it with friends and family. You can follow me on social media at Cherish Your Life. And my website is cherishyourlife.com. Yep, my name's unique. Here's an easy tip for you to pronounce and spell it. It's like the city, Paris, but with a CH. Special thanks to my dear friend, Paul Suyeljis, who enhanced and mixed the musical track. Little did we know back in college in the 90s, while my then boyfriend, now husband, and I listened to Paul riff on his guitar, that he'd be helping me decades later give a creative touch to something called a podcast. <laughs>